The following sermon is brought to you by Capital Community Church, located in Raleigh, North Carolina. Capital Community Church is a people awakened to a holy God. If you are searching for a new church home, or from out of town looking for a church to worship with, or simply seeking for answers, please join us for worship at 1045 a.m. every Sunday morning and 6 o'clock p.m. for our evening service. If you have any questions, please email us at info at We pray this sermon will help you grow deeper in your walk with Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah, all right. Look, I just turned 75. This is, this is at the peak of my technological skills here. Boy, what a, what a pleasure. By the way, we have great students at Southern, but if we could just clone this one. But go ahead, think this is the typical Southern grad. I mean, he is... Uh, He's amazing. What a privilege to be with you. And I want you to introduce me each place. Because you said I was a colonel in the Army. I was a lieutenant colonel. Lieutenant colonels get coffee for colonels. And uh, I was actually in the National Guard and the Reserve. So, you know, and my son Caleb it was a Marine, or is a Marine. That's how you're supposed to say it. Uh, and uh, he was at Auburn. Should I mention that? Or, I don't know. He was at Auburn in ROTC, Naval ROTC, and once... He was walking across the grass in the gunnery, or gunny, they call him, said, get off the grass. That's for Army and Air Force pukes. So he learned that his dad was a puke. But he was a real deal, like you are a Marine, so, or you are a Marine. So I salute you, and I just kind of look up, up to you. And I look up to you. For, what a wonderful congregation, and, and, and just pastor and everything. This just blesses me. I was sent to the daddy's timeout room once too. Let me just say, and we're praising God that that, that worked out. Kessid, our daughter who was here, who married Grant, I mean, Jeremy, Grant's another, uh, Rogie. Uh, I was in there in the room with my child bride, Sharon. Here we go, Sharon, why don't you stand up? You're just, you're splendid. They'll start to think more highly of me if they see you. Okay. <clears throat> anyway. So 52 years, as Irma Bombeck said, she's never considered divorce, but murders crossed her mind. And uh, it's not original with me. But when Kessa was born, I was in the room, and uh, Sharon was getting a little bit distressed, I thought, and so I, I, I began to counsel the anesthesiologist. And uh, he soon got his elegant sufficiency of that and uh, sent me to the daddy timeout room. And I learned to pray, I, I, probably not, a, not as well as you, but um, it went well. And then she had a hole in her heart when she was born. And we're thinking, okay, Lord, you know, we'll just work with her and help her as we can go. And I think it was after a month or six weeks or something, it closed. And then she was winning, she won a medal in pole vaulting in high school, didn't she? And so, you know, you, you just get scared to death sometimes. You just turn to the Lord and sometimes he says yes and sometimes he says no. But what a privilege to be connected with that family. And to be connected with the Lord is the giver of, of all gifts. If you have this outline, you see the Beatitudes, blessed, blessed, blessed. That's a start. We're just going to do chapter 5. And, you know, we're going to, as I say, listen, listen fast because it's a lot of material. But these are the Beatitudes. And I was just going to ask you if you could fill in the blanks. Uh, some of you may have done it already. Let me give you a hint. There are four that start with P and three that start with uh, T, and one that starts with uh, H and T. Uh, no, three, three that start with M. 
and then one that starts with H and T. So let's just see, off the top of your head, can you think of, uh, and just say it out, if you will. I'm an old teacher, so we just do a classroom for a moment here. So uh, let's just say four that start with P. Blessed are the pure in heart, peacemakers, good, poor in spirit, the persecuted, good for you. We should stop now where we're doing well, but let's go to the M's, okay? Three M's. Merciful. Mourn. Oh, he's cheating here. He's got his Bible over here. What, what, no. and, the, and the meek. That's all right. We deal with that in schools as well. Uh, and, and then H&T, hunger and thirst for righteousness. Wow, you guys are good. You've done well, sir. They, they know they're... And so I won't home in on those in particular, but what I'm going to do is take you through the rest of it, and there are other things that are prescribed in the Beatitudes or in chapter 5, and we're going to treat them like Beatitudes, and we're just going to say, blessed are the whatevers, you know? So let's just track through very quickly and see what we've got. Um, You're the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost its savor... I'm using King James here. That's how I learned it first time, so forgive me here. Uh, Though the salt have lost its savor, what, with, with what shall it be salted? It is therefore good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. So the first is, blessed are the salty. Now, what are, what are the salty? It is interesting. How do you, how do you corrupt the salt and, and so forth? I've thought about somebody like putting a bunch of talcum uh, powder in the salt you know, and I suppose there are things you can do that you can, you know, make it a, some kind of a solution and then evaporate. I don't know how you would do it, but it, you just throw it out. Um, and so he says, look, if you're all polluted with other things, you know, you're, you're not going to be effective for salt. We're, by the way, our culture is salted with something. We're seasoned with something. And I think they put like, I don't know, LSD or something in there. So it's all corrupted and you still throw that out as well. But I think of people who are salty. And uh, when it first comes to me, I think of a, a fellow, I, I just, I don't know, I got into a show-and-tell mode today, but let me mention this fellow. I did a book, a little biography, about a man I worked with for about 15 years. His name is Emmanuel Camporis, and he's the CEO of American Standard Corporation. They make toilets and train air conditioning and Westinghouse air brakes. And he married, uh, he lost his wife, and in the crisis he found the Lord, and then he met a young lady who was... Uh, a nominal Catholic, and then she had some wonderful things happen, and she became a Christian, and, and, and they found each other, and they were married, and then they were off to the races with all kinds of good things. Her name was Camille Campouris, and she was a Muppeteer, uh, and she was that for 12 years, I think, and she invented Meryl Sheep and a number of others. She co-hosted the Today Show with The Count, uh, really an interesting lady, and they became a dynamic duo. And when he retired as CEO of American Standard, uh, a company which he essentially rescued when they took it out of trading and came back in, uh, it took off like a rocket. And when he retired, he had all kinds of money, and he invested it in Christian causes. And so we had Christ, uh, Christ in the City. It was like a witness in New York. He funded the translation of some of uh, a sidekick, uh, you might say, of Calvin, some of the translation for new use in Europe. And he founded Kairos Journal and Bible Mesh, and we had a conference in Vienna. And he's just spending tens of millions of dollars to reach America and to, and to help pastors engage the culture prophetically. 
They're the most amazing people. I was sitting with her once. Uh, we'd been together for a long time. We had a writer's conference in Manhattan. And she started telling me about when she dated Seinfeld. <laughs> and that didn't work out. But at any rate, uh, I thought, Camille, you need to write this up. And she said, yeah, you, you, do, you can do it. And I said, I don't do things like, you know, we work with Eric McTaxis. He could do it. And she said, but ideas came to me of, of divine uh, encounters that uh, led to incredible outreach. And he was in like Forbes 400, and he was doing all kinds of big stuff. He was on boards of this and that, and on Blue Cross. And Jack Welch mentioned him in his book about excellence, where he talked about GE. And the most humble fella, and it turns out in the midst of that big CEO world, he was an unapologetic witness to the Lord. And, and when he would go in and deal with foreign countries that tried to get bribes and kickbacks and stuff, he'd just walk away. And with a handshake, he would seal a deal with some bank in Boston, and they took it. And, and I, I, I glory in this fellow because he was, he was salt. He brought saltiness to the corporate world and, and to the ministry as well. But then I think of uh, a Bulls game I went to with my sons in Chicago. The Bulls were playing uh, Dallas, and uh, <laughs> anyway, at halftime, we went out to get refreshments, and in that uh, United Center, I think it is in Chicago, the line for the concessions went all the way to the outside wall. So if you're going around outside, you have to work through the lines. And I think there were five lines for this one place. And I was at the very back, and so I had a long time to watch the vendors. And I'm moving up, moving up. And they were just about to kill each other. I mean, they were going over this, and give me some, some uh, jalapenos, and elbowing, and frowning, and you know, but there's one lady, and she was just so blissful, and thank you, and she nodded very carefully. And I, got, I watched her for about 10 minutes, and I got to the front, and I said, you're a Christian, aren't you? And she said, sanctified. <laughs> and I loved it. And in fact, she was saltiness. She brought salt and taste to that particular setting and that culture. So we're to be salty, and that's a blessed way to live. Look, do you realize how the world tells, tells you life is blessed? I mean, I look at ads, and apparently when you really hit the top, you're dancing with some liquor bottle or something, like with people in some place with, with you know, flashing lights. I and mean, that's kind of it. When I lived in Chicago, we had old Milwaukee beer ads. And they would be fishing, you know, hauling in Alaskan king crabs, or they'd be down in Louisiana pulling in bass or something like that. And they'd kick back and pop a top, and they'd say, you know, it doesn't get any better than this. That's the pinnacle. And I thought, you know, for the lost, it probably tops out at beer and fish. But for the redeemed, this is what we're talking about here, to be salty. Of course, I, when the Cubs finally won the World Series, I went outside and just walked around and passed out almost. And I thought that was pretty good. But this is even better than, than that. And then you go on to read, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do men light a lamp and put it under a bushel, but on a lampstand, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You're luminescent. You shine. You stand out. I got another book to show you real quick. It's, uh, it's uh, about Peter Akinola, the Anglican Archbishop of Nigeria. And Mr. Kamporis worked with him, and I got to meet him and help edit this thing. But here's, let me tell you about Peter Akinola. The Anglican Church is a worldwide communion. 
you know. I mean, the Southern Baptist Church is just basically American. Then you have the Nigerian Baptist Church and so forth and so on. That's, I come from that group. But uh, you have the Worldwide Anglican Communion, and they meet every 10 years at Lambeth in, in, uh, in London, Lambeth Castle, under the Archbishop of Canterbury. And so it turns out that the North American and uh, European Anglican Church, and North American would be Episcopalian as well, they were kind of going okay with gay, you know? You can have a gay bishop, you can have gay marriages and the like. Well, it was rolling along, but then it didn't roll so well in the global south. And Mr. Kempouris brought together four people for the Kairos Journal Award who were standing against the gay agenda. And one was Henry Orambi, who was the Anglican Archbishop of Uganda. One was Peter Akinola, the Archbishop of Nigeria. Datuk Yong Ping Chong, who was the uh, uh, Archbishop of uh, Singapore area. And then also Gregorio Venables, who's the Archbishop of the Southern Cone of, of South America, Argentina. And uh, he gave him an award. He actually gave him a Tiffany tray, and I think it was each $25,000 and brought their entourage in and just honored these guys because they stood against the gay agenda in the Anglican church. And uh, they, uh, they actually formed a thing called GAFCON, which is a, a, a kind of a pull-aside group that stands for biblical sexuality. Well, you know, you think, oh, these poor guys down there, they're, you know, we're the hot shots up here in the north, and they're just blowing it in the south. And uh, one of the, I think it was maybe the Massachusetts uh, group of, of Episcopalians sent this check to Henry Arambi in Uganda, and it had a kind of condescending letter. And it, and it said something like, listen, uh, clean up your act, you, you primitives, you know, you don't know really what's best. And they sent it back. It's like being in the bleachers at Wrigley Field when the other guy hits a home run, just throw it back out on the field. And they said, we don't want your money. You know, you guys sent us missionaries years ago, and you said, here's the Bible, and this is important, and it's true, and we just never changed our minds. Now, what are you guys doing? And lo and behold, there are more Anglicans worshiping in Nigeria on Sunday morning than there are, Ang there are Anglicans and Episcopalians worshiping in North America and Europe put together. Because you step away from God's Word, and the life goes out. But these guys decided, and by the way, a lot of the Anglican churches were Episcopal churches, and in America, they're pulling aside and saying, no, we're with those guys in the global south. But, you know, he decided not to be just bland and, well, we're just doing our thing, and what, what do we care? No, he was light. He brought light into the world. And, he, and by the way, do you know how to kill a cockroach? What you do is you do this with a light switch, go, da, 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 and he goes out and then comes back in, goes out, goes, and then he gets, has a heart attack and dies. <laughs> so you shed some light, and uh, lo and behold, people take notice. And so I think of Peter Akinola as one of these great light givers. Well, let's press on. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, Till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one little tittle shall in no way pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. Whosoever, therefore, shall break one of these least commandments, and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom 
of heaven. A lot there, but it says the Bible is comprehensively inspired and true. And he, and he says, you need to be comprehensively biblical. By the way, we started with, uh, I think Jake started with Psalm 150 today. You know, there's a big group of people. Their initials are Church of Christ, Campbell. Uh, I won't mention their names. But they don't believe in instrumental music. And I'm thinking, you know, that's in the Bible, Psalm 150. You know, praise him on these various things like this. There are people who are red-letter Christians. So if they get one of those Bibles that just, with just the things Jesus said, that's, say, we're going with that. Now, Paul brings up things about women in ministry and about homosexuality. Jesus never talked about that. So we'll just toss that. And then all oh, this Genesis 1 and 2 and 3 stuff about the fall and about male and female created. Now we've got all the pronouns and all that sort of thing. And so, you know, bam, 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 you know, but we're just going to stick with the stuff Jesus said. And he says, no, no, no. He says, this is, all scripture is inspired. Now, look, I'm sure there are dietary laws and ceremonial laws and sacrifice of bullocks and things like that. And, but the Bible is progressive in its revelation. But it's so important. It's kind of like boot camp. I think Marines have it harder than I did. But at any rate, boot camp's important. I mean, and, and even things just like drilling ceremonies and getting your gig lines straight, straightened and you know how to stand and put your thumbs and all that stuff. No, you don't use that in battle. You know, it's like, okay, we're under fire. This guy's, you know, like this and whatever about No, but that's important. And he says, this is important what went ahead. And by the way, a lot of it is still incredibly important. Sometimes I say in class, okay, take the Ten Commandments. Let's have an experiment. This side spend all week disobeying the Ten Commandments, and then you follow them, and we'll get back next week and see how it went. Well, they won't show up. They'll be dead. I mean, you know, for one reason or another. You don't break the Ten Commandments as much as you break yourself on the Ten Commandments. And God's law is salubrious, big word, conducive of well-being. And so he says, you need to honor the Scripture, honor it in its context. But please, look, when I went to teach at Wheaton College years ago, coming from Vanderbilt, um, they have a doctrinal statement. And I went through, I didn't know what some of those things were. One said, you had to affirm that the Bible had plenary verbal inspiration. I'm thinking, I, I know what plenary means. I know what verbal means. What is this? Is this gonna, and so I called my daddy, who was a teacher in Christian colleges like Belmont and Carson Newman and Washita. And I said, Daddy, you know, this is, and he says, you believe that. And, and so I did, from Genesis to Maps. And he says, you really got to take the scriptures, scriptures very, very seriously. Um, you know, I did. I got in trouble once. I heard that Bill Stafford did something. He was an evangelist, and I thought I was going to try it. I, uh, in my first pastorate, and it was also almost my last pastorate when I did this, I took a Bible and I brought a, um, I brought it out. And I said, "Okay," I, it was a cheap one, given away and lost and found. And I said, "Okay, we don't believe this thing about the creation. We all know Darwin and and this this stuff." And I started tearing stuff out. And, and I was just saying, so, you know, we can, we can dispense with that because we're, we're smarter than that. The, you know, um, imprecatory Psalms, that's, that's sub-Christian, and here's this and this. And, and the genealogies, who cares, whoever reads that stuff. And so I finally had this little bitty Bible. And I said, that's what we do with the Bible. But then I had a little chair from the primary department. And I sat down there and I gathered up the pieces and held them to me. And I said, we treasure the work, the word of God. And, uh, and some, it was not well received for tearing up the Bible, but still, one other thing I'll mention. I read once, I think you were just in Jerusalem, and, and uh, I've been there a number of times. 
one time I, I read about the, I think it was like the, uh, you know, Orthodox Electrical Institute. And they had, they had rules like this. Uh, we're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. So, and this, I've seen this in Tel Aviv. You'll get on two elevators. One elevator uh, has regular buttons, and they, but the other doesn't have any buttons. I mean, it doesn't work. And you just stand there. It stops at every floor because if you push the button, you'd be working. So we just, right, it takes forever, but you still, you're righteous. And then I found out they calculated the amount of advantage <laughs> that your weight gave to the elevator as you're going down. And so they would bleed off compensatory electrical power so that your weight is not helping the elevator. It's like, well, that's kind of what Jesus was working with. Play like this is a Bible. And here's the Bible. What's all this other stuff? It's pharisaical stuff like... You, you guys pride yourself on all this jazz you add to the Bible, you know, and you think you're so righteous. He says, hey, that's just a bunch of hooey, man. And so if you're not more righteous than these knuckleheads who are corrupting the Bible and the Torah and the Tanakh and so forth, all this extra stuff, then you're in trouble. And so he says, don't undersell it, but don't go crazy making up stuff and adding in a social gospel or something like that. Well, pressing on. Then he says... Um, if I can find my way here. Um, uh, ye have heard, verse 21, that it was said by them of old, Thou shalt not kill, and, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of judgment. But I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of judgment, and whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka or Reka, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of of hellfire. Therefore, if you bring a gift to the altar and there remember that thy brother hath anything against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift. And agree with thine adversary quickly um, while thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee, thee to the judge and the judge deliver thee to the officer and thou be cast into prison. Verily I say unto thee, Thou shalt by no means come out from there till thou hast paid the othermost farthing. Big warnings here. Uh, so much in this. Let me just say a few things very quickly. Uh, he, kept, he keeps talking about the brother. If you, this your brother, your brother, your brother. And one of the commentaries was so interesting. It said, we think, we think it's kind of like, uh, yeah, you know, okay, sorry, you know, or something like this. It's no big deal. But to be koinonia Oriented. Koinonia is a Greek word for the fellowship of the church, the commonality and fellowship of the church. If, if you realize you're down in Jerusalem at the temple and you're about to offer a turtle dove or a pigeon or a, you know, something like that, and you realize that your brother, that this fellow back in Galilee, miles up there, has something against you, then you need to like stop it and go back up to Galilee and make it right with the guy before you come back down to Jerusalem to do this. He just talks about how absolutely precious the fellowship of God is. Now, there's a place for church discipline. There's a place for rebuke and the like. But if you've got this nasty thing going in the church and you're angry and you're, you're almost brooding murderously, like, boy, I wish they just didn't show up Sunday. And then we read about them in the paper that they, I just heard this morning about people jumping off the back of boats going fast in Alabama and breaking their necks. So maybe that's what you want for, to happen for them. But if you have that spirit, then you're not against, you're against the body of Christ, the, the, the fellowship of the Lord. 
And so he says, you better be very, very careful when you take that sort of thing on. Um, we had a revival in our church. Uh, we had an evangelist come in. This is when I was a way, way long ago, young pastor. And uh, we had a pretty extraordinary meeting, a special meeting. And the last night before Saturday, uh, before Sunday, and, and we even decided to extend the meeting. Can you stay over another week or something? And he said, yes. We saw two saints in the church instead of coming down the aisle, as that was our, our practice in, in that context. One of them went across the aisle, about four rows back, and then embraced this woman who was her sister-in-law. And I found out later, the two brothers were doctors in town, and there was a resentment over who got the house of the daddy of, their, of these two doctors. It was the big house up on Madison Street, nice house. And when they came to town, one of them got the big house and the other resented it. People just, you know, get creepy over different things. But that had been festering. And they'd been active in church and doing all kinds of wonderful things. But they finally thought, I'm going to humiliate myself by going across and apologizing to my sister-in-law. And that was a key to revival. I say, good meetings can happen if people come down now. Great meetings happen if people go across the aisle. And that's the spirit of koinonia. You treasure the church. You treasure the congregation. You know who your people are. Let me bring up something real quick. I was in the military, lamely enough, but still to become uh, a member of the Vetix community. I don't know if you've ever heard of Vetix, but it's like free tickets for guys who've served. Yes, sir. And so we use this way beyond what they meant for us to use it. We were at the opera the other night, heard Vince Gill and Trace Atkins, and then we were at the Symphony Hall and heard a Judy Garland ret retrospective or something, and we've been to the Predators games. I've been to a NASCAR race out in Lebanon, Tennessee. I heard ZZ Top, forgive me. I heard Michael, Michael Bubley, if you know who that is, the Lumineers. Uh, we saw the Preds, I think I said that. We've been to a sounds game. And you get extra points if, if, you're, if you're there, and you hold up the sign, and then you send it to the vendor. And so I treasure this little sign. We've used it recently. But you know, some people treat churches like vet ticks, and they say, well, what's playing? They treat it like a movie, in a sense. And so they'll go to that church because there's something really cool going on, or somebody's you know, connected to somebody, somebody like that. However you get to the church, it's really just like a movie theater. And so, like, show what the tickets are. And sometimes you go there and you're in a group. They'll put you back in the left-hand corner on the ground floor at the Opry House. It's like one other guy's got a sign or he's got an old man haircut. And, you know, you think, okay, did you serve? Thank you, thank you. Good to see you. But there's no bond. We don't get together afterwards and tell more stories. We just, I'm with him like that. And some people treat church like that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm kind of with him. And what's playing here? What's playing there? But to be so involved with people that you'd actually travel back to Galilee or go over to Nashville to make it right before you take the Lord's Supper, said, that's bonding. That's the fellowship of faith. And he says, you better take that fellowship very, very seriously. You can't be a gifted, um, faithful steward of your gifts if you're not in a congregation, if you're not reliable. And by the way, when you feel good, when you don't feel good, when your biorhythms are high, when they're low, when everybody appreciates it, nobody notices, when everybody shows up, when nobody shows up, the, the church needs steady, solid, graceful, long-distance runners that treasure the treatment and regard of the brotherhood and sisterhood. And then we go. 
sexually wholesome. You have heard that it was said to them by them of old, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whoever whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her in his heart. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off, cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of the members should perish, and not that the whole body should be cast into hell. A blessed life is sexually wholesome. Now, I'm telling you, having been raised in the 50s, we had no idea that there would be an American culture so awash with sexual temptation and the internet and pornography and and you should go to Lo, you should go to Lower Broad in Nashville um, when the um, what do they call them not bridezillas but the uh, the party girls who come in for saying what do you call those they're just they're just girls night out but they come and they get what do you call them bachelorettes and they come and get in these pedal taverns you know. And it's this thing that you all sit around a bar and you pedal and they drink and then they holler and woo and this and all kind of stuff. And, and boy, we took our grandkids downtown to the symphony a while back and uh, we made the mistake of going up there. I mean, it is pretty nasty. Uh, look, some of you are like, well, let's book that. But no, but it is, it is really, they're just, they're just being lewd and ridiculous. And the temptations that are out there for your mind to go bad places and your eyes to go bad places are hugely greater than I was raised in southwest Arkansas in the, in the 50s and 60s. But I, I think of this, how in the world can you help it, you know, if you're red-blooded this or that? I, I was, when I was a denominational serpent, servant for years, flying around, I remember I'd get on a plane, I don't know, um, maybe Delta coming out of Atlanta because you had to go through Hartsfield to go to heaven, I think, back in the day in the South. And so I'm there, and I'm exhausted, and, I, and they're wheeling that cart up there, and all of a sudden, there's a, you know, it's just on my face, like, oh my goodness, somebody opened a Coke can, and it was just sticky Coca-Cola all over my face. And my first reaction was, you, clod, you know, or something like that. It wasn't warm like, bless you, dear. It was, it was more like that, and I, I, I kind of had, and then I discovered this was the first time that a rookie a flight attendant had, had been on a flight, and she had a, a counselor right beside her, and she was so nervous and apologetic and stuff, and instantly, I saw her in a different light. Do you, do you realize, I mean, same eyes, but I looked at her, and I think, what? And I'm thinking, oh, dear. And you can, you can do that, and if you if you start to look at people who could be an object of lust, male or female, as your sister or as your brother, it's funny how, you know, it's like in the, you go to the optometrist or the ophthalmologist and he's, can you see it now? Can you see it now? Click, 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 you know, and you think, there. And so we see in fuzzy worldly ways, and God says, try this. And then you start to regard people differently. And he says, you need to, you need to work on that sort of thing. Um, and it's a miserable life. Talk about the blessed life. Miserable life is to go around just violating the tenth, tenth commandment, just coveting and you know calculating, conniving, and all oh, that. Be so great. And said, yeah, just just do that for a life. A lot of people do, and then you're going to have a miserable life. And he says you need to be pure in heart. Um, there's a real controversy 
regarding homosexuality and same-sex attraction and so forth. Some people say, and I've worked with, with guys who are very active churchmen who say, you can be gay if you don't do gay. You know, I've talked to some Anglican uh, vicars and, about that, and so they think, as long as you don't act on it, if you have same-sex orientation, I mean, uh, opposite-sex orientation, then that's okay. I don't think the Bible says that. It talks about your heart as well. We say, create in me a clean heart, O God. Like, help me not just be restrained, but help me not to have the same drive. And, you, and, you know, some people say, I have minor sexual attraction, you know, or whatever. Like, no, that can't be the end of the story. I was going to the grocery store the other day with my wife and saw all these things that are oriented to heart health. Blue diamond almonds, you know, you have the little heart on it and they have different, so you got blue diamond almond, Walgreen aspirin, heart healthy, Campbell healthy request soup, body of hemp seeds, helps your cardio, beats me, don't know what that's about. Uh, Quaker oatmeal, heart healthy. Um, what is that? Kellogg's Raisin Bran, heart healthy. General Mills, Cheerios. Lower car, lower low low carbs, or um, help your car, cardiology stuff. Seafood snacks, healthy check. There's even a place you can go dot org to check this out. And we are so ca- cautious about our hearts, but he says you need to be cautious about your heart, your perspective. And if you think, oh well, nobody's noticing. You know, I can work around covenant eyes or something like that. No, he's noticing and he loves you and he doesn't want you to spend your life seedy, you know? And so he warned you. Sexually wholesome. All righty. Let's just press on here. It hath been said, whoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, except for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery, and whosoever shall marry her, that is divorce, committed adultery. Boy, that was a surprise to my early pastorate. I came, it came fresh out of seminary, and we were in 1 Corinthians 7, teaching winter Bible study, and I came to the 7th chapter, and I said, you know, I think I wouldn't feel at ease performing some weddings because I think they're kind of outside what God has. And it turns out I think like half the people in church were divorced or remarried. Some of them were like channel surfing through marriages, you know, just click, click, click till we get the one we want. There is so much pain, so much woundedness, uh, so much bitterness and anxiety, but you just kind of have to say the Bible says something like this. And so what do you make of it? Now, good people disagree over how you apply it, where there are exceptions and so forth and so on. I just, um, Mid-America Baptist Seminary asked me to write it up. But he wants to, I'll give it to the pastor and he can burn it. But this is how I took And there's so many things worse. Well, I just want my little girl to be happy. Give me a guy who says, I want my little girl to be holy, you know. Well, it wasn't good that man should be alone, you know. So I say, yeah, he was alone. He was the only guy on earth. I mean, it's not exactly the same as our being alone. And you just, you kind of work with it. And boy, um, it's tough, tough stuff. But here's the deal. I talk about being trothful in marriage. You know the old language, I plight thee my troth. That's kind of cool. We should do weddings that way. Anyway, but I, I work from the Book of Common Prayer, the Anglican one, and I have vows like this. I asked um, Marty Corsi, First Baptist Henderson, Kentucky, where I was an interim, I said, Marty, please take Carly's hand and repeat. Now listen to this. 
In the name of God, I, Marty, take you, Carly, to be my wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish. How long? Until love shall continue? No, it says, until we are parted by death. This is what? My solemn vow. And, and we just kind of say, yeah, well, unless it's not fulfilling anymore. Now, again, we can talk about exceptions and, and, and the like, but this is a solemn vow. And he says, you've got to treat marriage. I mean, marriage is the first institution. It's in like the second chapter of Genesis, you know? I mean, it comes before academia, it comes before the military, it comes before commerce, it becomes, I mean, you know, whatever. It's there. You get that wrong, and your whole society is going to crash, you know? I mean, when I, 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 I was a church planner in Chicago and taught at Wheaton some more in Elmhurst and like that. When we left Chicago to come back to Nashville, there are difference, demographic differences, but basically, out-of-wedlock births were about 50% in Cook County. And then later we took mission trips to Detroit, and, and it was more like 60% there in aggregate. And you just can't do that, you know? I mean, it's, it, and yet we just go right ahead. Um, you know, I, when I was in seminary, we had a guy come from a local church in Fort Worth. I went to Southwestern. And he talked about these golfers. And I'm not very good at golf. I don't know a whole lot about it. I play about once a year, and then I make shoot 10 on most of the holes about a par one hole and I think I could do this you know and so I'll come back another year but he talked about these guys and the guy just shanks it or whatever all over, and they give him a mulligan and then he's working down the fairway and he he slices it into the woods and nobody's looking and he throws it out of the woods you know and then farther down you know it's in the wrong spot so he kind of bumps it a little bit and rolls it out and then he gets up on the green and putts, and yeah, that's a gimme. You don't need to putt. And a guy finally said, who speaks for par? I mean, who's standing up for par? And we're given so many gimmies and mulligans and looking the other ways and no big deal and this kind of stuff that you, you think after a while, I mean, when you read Amos, he says, you know, the word of God, the prophet, he hangs a plumb line, and he sees when the wall's shifting. And it takes a lot of courage. So as, as your pastor, whatever the topic, takes a, a firm biblical stance, let him hold the plumb line and honor that, if you will. And then we go on. Again, you have heard that it hath been said by them of old, thou shalt not perjure thyself and shall perform unto the Lord thine oaths. But I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. But let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay, for whatever is more than these cometh of evil. Just to be notably honest, I hate to bring this up, but it's, it's been our experience. Sharon and I have learned this. When you're about to buy something from someone, a house or a service or something like that, or a vacation package or whatever, if they start talking the language of Zion, it's like, oh, it's so good to work with Christians. Not, again, just bear with me, you know, 
this is not fair, but I think there's something here. And we can't keep again and again getting ripped by these. They don't follow through. Or they assure you that something is done and it's not done. Or, yeah, this will be, oh, well, there was this we didn't mention. So we have this little joke. If somebody starts talking, you know, in a sale, just jazzing it up with Christian talk, be careful because they're trading on that in a way to get your. So be careful in your speaking and your hearing because lies are all around us. We see it, of course, in the courts and we see it in the bureaucracy and we see it in politics and it's just we're in an epidemic of lies and so we need to be very very cautious and careful Christians do it I had a good friend who sold I'm not I'm gonna dumb this up when we lived when I taught at Wheaton the first time in Chicago and he sold systems for buildings and uh, so we'd go out and eat pizza at Baroni's and Glen Ellen after Sunday night and we talk with them and great guy lead music in church sometimes no reflection on Jake and, and he said, you know, sometimes in my work I have to create a situation. I said, what, what do you mean? He said, well, look, the guy is not buying the system. They need it. I need the sale. He's just foot dragging, bless his heart. So I create a situation. So what do you mean? He says, well, I tell him prices are going up in October. And, and they're not. But, you know, he gets, he gets moving and does what he needs to do. And it's all happy. And that's lying. But he just thought, well, that's business. Like, that's a whole different universe. He said, you need to be notably honest. There was a guy, I worked in, in oil country in Arkansas, and we had a, a company called Lion Oil, spelled the same forward and backwards. Lion Oil, you know, palindrome. And he was a purchasing agent, and a guy came to him, and, and he starts to, he moves an envelope across the desk. And he says, what's that? Well, it was a bribe. It was a kickback. He not only fought it, like, oh, I don't want that, but I, no, take it. He didn't even know what was going on. He didn't play the game because he was honest inside. And he said, boy, be honest. Be notably honest. Discombobulatingly <laughs> obliging. I kind of had fun making a long word there. And I know we're out of town. I'll go quit at time. Forgive me. Sorry, Gray. Um, you know, it's just like he asks you to, he commands that you take the pack. The Roman Empire could do this. One mile, you take it two, and like that. And just mess with their minds. Kind of a coals of fire thing. Uh, I, I picked up, do you know what chick tracks are? Those little tracks. And I picked up one somewhere on the table. And it was called Holy Joe. And it was about this guy who was praying beside his bunk in the barracks. And everybody, the sergeant and the good fellow soldiers, threw boots at him like, oh, who do you think you are? The next morning, he had polished all their boots and put them there, just messing with them. And uh, I think uh, of a time, Evanston, where we lived, I, when I planted a church, it's by Northwestern University, North Shore, Chicago. It's kind of like the gay capital of the North Shore. Uh, they threw the, United, the Boy Scouts out of the United Way because back then they couldn't have gay scoutmasters. So just throw them out. They can't be in the United Way. It was that kind of atmosphere. But we had a block party. We, we had a meal, and Sharon invited all the people on our block. And our next-door neighbor was gay, and uh, we just had a good time. We had markings of Christian things in our house. And I think he was disarmed by that and was charmed, and he helped us in selling our house and showing us an angle. So they knew we were the enemy. I mean, the E-Free Church got bounced out of one venue because they found out they didn't affirm homosexuality. So that was the atmosphere. 
And yet you could, and I'm not talking about pronoun courtesy where you play the game, where you, look, and God says, just call me God. I ain't going to do it because you ain't, you know? And you can say, I draw the line at truth, but a kind of disarming graciousness can go a long way. Because, look, we're not in a litigious mindset. Everybody now is like, cancel, trigger, sue, you know, I'll get a lawyer and stuff. And like, no. Oh, sorry. Wow. <laughs> Just testing the mic. It works. No, no longer. Slap you on one cheek. And you say, we used to do that in the military. We get up. It wasn't sincere. We get up at dawn at Fort Benning or before dawn. And, and we'd do calisthenics and jumping jacks and that. And the guy was up on the big table out and screaming and like that. We hadn't had breakfast. We were getting the dry heaves. You know, we were retching. And like we were down here bleeding out the nose or something. And what did we shout? Perhaps, you know, maybe they don't do this in the Marines. More PT, First Sergeant. You know, give us more. We didn't mean it. But, you know, there was just something really cool about it, you know. <laughs> and we're just saying, when, when the world mistreats you and misuses it calls you something or like a Bible thumper or something, you just say, just keep, keep sailing. Don't be so twitchy for your rights and the like. Okay, very quickly, again with apologies. Um, you have heard that it's uh, been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor, hate thine enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them who despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love them who love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the tax collectors the same. And if ye greet your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the heathen do so? Well, I say we should be promiscuously prayerful. Now, I, I shared this outline with a friend. He said, promiscuously? Well, look, that means widely. It's, it really does. Like John Milton, the poet, taught, said we should be promiscuous readers. We should be well-read. So you should be promiscuously prayerful in that you pray for your enemies as well. I tried that on the plane yesterday. It really is a good exercise. I prayed for Hunter Biden. You know, what do you pray for him? And, and you kind of think if you took a God's eye thing, you'd just say, what, what would be the best thing that, that would come to him? And it doesn't mean indulging them, like, Lord, let him get away with murder and do all this kind of stuff or, you know, whatever, and have many more kids out of wedlock and deal with the Chinese and more. And blah, blah, blah. You're not praying, like, help him in his projects. But you pray for him. And he says, that's what I have in mind for you guys. And then the last is just a verse. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father who is in heaven is perfect. Oh, thank you, God, for that one. Yeah, I, found, I found a little book I looked called The Good Enough Catholic. And he says, look, there's a lot going on. You don't go like, yeah, this, this, is, this is a gentleman's see. There's ought to be a... How about about being in my congregation? A good enough Baptist. Yeah, you'll pass for it. You know, you, you go pretty regularly. And if you don't tithe, you give 8% or something. You know, whatever. Good enough. And he says, be perfect. Like, stop it, God, you know? But isn't it wonderful that he sets the banner that high? And, 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 and by the way, I want to know if there's anything wrong. I mean, not that long ago, I had a biopsy. And you're listening like, well, it's nothing, it's, not, it's just a little tiny thing. Yeah, but I don't want a little tiny thing. Well, we'll revisit in such and such a time like that. I mean, I, I did have one recently. It was okay. But I'm just saying, do spiritual biopsies. 
God, do a biopsy on me. Is there anything? I know I pass for wonderful. But to just stop and say, yeah, it's good enough. You know, I'll have these. I'm only human and stuff. God says, no. Teleos means just be mature, fully developed. And you're going to get there in heaven. But he says we should be that. Now, wow, what are we supposed to be? Salty and luminescent and, you know, faithful to everything like that. This is, wow. It's, it's exhilarating to think that he gets inside the heart as well as the behavior. But this is kind of intimidating. Um, and some people say that's why he put it out there, because he hasn't announced the cross yet. And we find this and we think, well, yeah, that's nice, but I feel like a dirtbag. Because I have unholy things in my life, and I find myself not hating my enemies, and I find myself just being hair-trigger, uh, you know, snapback kind of guy with resentments, and I find myself nursing hatred and, and wrongs to people, and I find myself you know, just being bland and not even counting, just not just kind of hiding and sit, hiding from conflict for the Lord. And uh, my goodness, I just I wish I hadn't brought that up. And then you find, find yourself mourning. But go back to the Beatitudes. Blessed are you if you mourn, for you shall what? Be comforted. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Like, oh, Lord, here's what you're talking, and I live here. I, and he said, that's a good place to be. And Jane, weep and wail, and he'll lift you up. And then he comes later, of course, in the Bible. And he says, and by the way, um, I can cover your sins. You're not judged by how you toe the line here. I asked for repentance. When I was in Evanston, I um, had a business card with the gospel on the back. I just made a new one up. And this is good news for people who feel just splattered by the Sermon on the Mount. God is perfect in love, justice, knowledge, and power. Though made in his image, we are corrupt. Our sin wrecks our lives on earth and our prospects for heaven. But in love, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to provide the way of forgiveness and salvation, born of a virgin. Jesus lived a sinless life and died a sacrificial death on the cross to pay the penalty for sins for those who accept his gift of eternal life. He was buried, rose from the grave on the third day, appeared to his disciples, and now reigns in heaven where he claims those who have turned to him in repentance and faith. He's given them a new heart, and it clearly shows. The Holy Spirit counsels, encourages, and equips them for fruitful service. They're not perfect, but they're his forever. Jesus is coming to earth again, and in the end, all will admit that he is Lord. The lost will do so bitterly. The saved will proclaim it with joy. And so when I got a haircut as if I needed one the other day, I gave it to the lady and said, this is the most important thing I want you to know. When they picked us up at the hotel this morning, went to the clerk at the desk and said, I just want you to know this thing. And this is exhilarating and intimidating, this chapter. But uh, we know that however it strikes you with a sense of inadequacy, we're saved by grace and mercy. And it's like, boy, do I need it. Every time I read this, I feel worse about myself and better about Jesus. And I thank God for that. And by the way, living a seedy, sullen, lame life, it's really a sad life. It's not blessed. So if you want to be blessed, follow. And by the way, it goes on in 6 and 7 too, but we're just on 5. Dear God, thank you for grace. Lord, do I need it? 
Lord, when I presume to get up here and even talk about the scripture, I, I feel like I feel like such a poor representative. And, and yet, as I read the rest of the story, as as I admire but I'm intimidated by this standard, I see grace and mercy written all over it. And I see kingdom come written all over it. And I see a different me freed of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Thank you for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, the prompting to give me a, a different kind of eye, a different kind of hand. And uh, dear God, I pray that everyone here in this room would know the blessedness not only of walking in your ways, but of also enjoying forgiveness and deliverance. Thank you, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more sermons, information, and events, check out our website at capitalcommunitychurch.com.